Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. I'm Charlie Wright. We'd like to welcome our guest for today, Elliot Gu, founder and chief analyst at Capitalist Times Pro publishers and they provide research and newsletters to subscribers he speaks to us from miami beach but their headquarters are in washington dc so elliot welcome to strategic investor radio well thanks for having me on the show Elliot, you uh, you run uh, this research firm and publishing newsletters. Uh, you've been doing that for decades. You were educated at the University of London, both undergrad and graduate school in economics, although you are from the States, uh, Washington, D.C. area. Your flagship newsletter is Energy and Income Investing, combining those two, and your subscribers are investors and financial advisors. So give us a brief background of yours and tell us about capitalists times. Sure. Well, I've been covering the energy markets for a long time. Uh, had a had a concentration on that part of the market now for for um, and it's been it's been quite a wild ride. Obviously, we saw back um, in the um, in the in the late '90s and early 2000s. You know, oil prices were uh, down in the dumps. Uh, I can remember when I lived in the UK. I had some friends who worked in the oil business up in the North Sea, and there were no jobs. There were very few degrees you could even get in petroleum and engineering. Uh, and, of course, shortly thereafter, uh, we had this major boom in demand from uh, China and India for, for oil, for natural gas, for energy. Uh, and that drove a massive bull market in energy, and it's become one of the hottest topics, I'd say, uh, really of the last, uh, of, of the last 20 years, the, the world's growing demand for energy. Um, and back when I first started studying the sector, as I said, it was really out of favor, uh, but you could really see the demand wave coming. And, um, and, and I haven't been sorry about uh, really concentrating on this area and all the trends underway in, in the energy markets. Um, obviously, it's a lot more than just a handful of big producers that, that many, many listeners have probably heard of. Um, there, there are a lot of services companies, midstream energy companies, all involved in the sector, and it's, it's certainly been a fascinating place to be. I bet it has been. So today, Elliot, we'd like to focus on three areas, and we're not going to have sufficient time to cover any of the three to the degree we'd like to, but uh, we're going to do our best. Area number one, what misconceptions do you see investors having in looking to invest in energy? I think the biggest mistake and the biggest misconception that I hear from investors surrounds OPEC, uh, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. You know, it was founded back in the 1960s, and for really half a century, it has dominated uh, the global oil market. Uh, when OPEC wanted to drive up the price of oil, uh, as they did back in the 1970s, they simply cut production a little bit, the price of oil went up. Uh, but there really has been a massive sea change in the global oil market uh, really just over the last uh, five to seven years. You know, I can remember about 12 years ago, uh, I, was in a con- I was at a conference in Washington, D.C., uh, put on actually by the Department of Energy. And the big topic of conversation was, how are we going to get all the oil and all the natural gas we need here in the United States to fuel our growing economy 
when you know U.S. oil production, U.S. natural gas production is in decline, and all the discussions were about the need to import liquefied natural gas from places like the Middle East or from Australia uh, or from uh, from from Africa, um, the need to build new pipelines to bring oil um, from down from Canada uh, or to discover or, or to explore in the deep water uh, regions off the coast in the Gulf of Mexico or further afield, and. It's totally changed over the last five or seven years. Uh, whereas before, you know, OPEC really controlled global oil supply, really controlled global oil prices, they've lost that control. Um, they've lost their power. And it's all because of shale. U.S. oil producers can, if the com- price of the commodity goes up high enough, uh, they can bring new production online in a matter of weeks. You know, back in the 70s, you know, if a non-OPEC producer or a U.S. oil producer wanted to start up a new oil project, uh, a deep water oil project or a project off the coast of Africa to produce more oil or gas, it would take five to ten years from planning to bring actual oil or gas into the market. In the meantime, OPEC had free run to, to, to run global supply. Um, that's gone now. Uh, if OPEC tries to push up the price of oil, um, as they did late last year, U.S. oil producers in a matter of months can offset any production cuts that OPEC makes uh, by simply going out and drilling more aggressively in places like the Permian Basin of West Texas. And the biggest mistake I see investors make is to put, pay too much attention to OPEC, to things like Middle Eastern politics, uh, and pay too little attention to the epic change that's underway, which is just the rising power of these short-cycle oil producers in places like the U.S., well, that's very interesting. Now, these short-cycle oil producers, are they be able to be profitable at a lower level than the OPEC level of producers? You know, that's another big tra- change that we have, have seen in recent years is just the, the, the ability to drive down the cost of oil production. You know, just uh, back in early April, I was at a conference in the Permian Basin of, of Texas, of western Texas, um, covering uh, oil production in that region. And the efficiency gains that they're making are absolutely amazing. Um, a couple of years ago, literally a couple of years ago, back in 2015, uh, it cost in some, some wells in that area, you needed $50, $60 barrel oil to break even. Some of the producers in the uh, Permian Basin today can actually generate a positive return with oil at $30 a barrel. Um, and that's just a massive, amazing change. And and it's and what's really tr- what's really interesting is that this continues. And I know a lot of investors think of the energy business as being decidedly low tech and decidedly sort of 20th century, um, but it's really not. Uh, a lot of the technological improvements that you're seeing in other parts of the economy are being applied to the energy business. Uh, for example, it's now very common for producers in the Permian Basin of West Texas to put sensors on the drill bit, on all of their equipment, uh, on the ground, seismic sensors, to actually monitor exactly what layers of rock they're drilling through, what kind of oil or gas is being produced, uh, what, what, uh, whether it makes any difference, whether minute changes in the way they drill the well make a difference to productivity. And they assemble all this data automatically and are able to unlock um, you know, ever more efficient ways of, of getting to the oil, um, new layers, new productive layers of rock underneath the earth. So a lot of these producers can make money 
at prices which are extremely uncomfortable for OPEC. I mean, Saudi Arabia needs 60 or $70 oil at least to fund social spending uh, in Saudi Arabia. Um, U.S. oil producers, $35 a barrel. Some of them are quite profitable. That is very interesting. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the 1970s when we had the, quote, energy crisis. And uh, people were very concerned. We, we said, we are going to be so dependent upon all of these Middle Eastern countries. Are we going to have sufficient oil to last into the future? And uh, oil prices are going to stay high, and they can control it with their cartel. And what you are now saying, you know, 35-plus years later is... 180 degrees from that, that that uh, costs are, go, are are declining. The United States is becoming the king of all of this. Uh, and you haven't even touched on uh, natural gas here. And so all of this is really very positive for the world and especially for the United States, correct? Oh, it is. And it's a, it really, again, is a huge change. Uh, you know, again, as I, as I said, I, at a bunch of conferences, actually, I've been to over the years, um, when you go back 10 years, you know, it was definitely a culture, culture of scarcity. Uh, we don't have enough energy. We don't have enough gas. We don't have enough oil. And when you go to a conference today, you'll hear a, cult, a culture of really a glut. There's too much gas in the United States. Uh, we produce so much gas that we're actually exporting it to Mexico. You know, 10 years ago, Mexico was a major exporter of gas to us. And now we're uh, the largest by far and fastest growing exporter of natural gas to Mexico. Uh, It's just a total shift in the culture. You know, we're exporting natural gas in the form of liquefied natural gas um, out of the Gulf Coast, uh, all over the world, to Europe, to Asia, um, all over the world, really. You know, again, you know, 10 years ago, all the talk was about building import terminals to bring gas into the country. Those are now sitting literally unused or underutilized. On the, te- on the Gulf Coast, and we're building plants to actually um, create liquefied natural gas, which is just super cool natural gas, and export it. Um, same with oil, um, billions of dollars in investment going into building up export terminals on the, on the Gulf Coast. Um, it, it's a total change. I mean, you weren't even allowed to export oil out of the U.S. market until the end of 2015. Right. Uh, and now um, it, it, we're, we're exporting in many months more than a million barrels of oil a day. Um, it's just it, few would have dreamed of it um, 10 or 15 years ago. So, uh, unfortunately, we have to move on here uh, with the next question here, Elliot. So, given all of these changes that we have, okay, investing is all about What's going to happen in the future? It's not all about what's happened in the past. So what opportunities do you see in energy moving forward? Well, I think the big thing to understand is that we're, we, we've been in a market uh, at, at times over the last 15 years or so where oil prices have been steadily rising, uh, and we've had oil prices as recently as three years ago over $100 a barrel. Um, those days are gone. We are unlikely to see prices get that high again because if the price of oil goes above a barrel, you're going to see a surge of supply coming from U.S. shale producers. Uh, At the same time, I don't think we're going to see oil uh, much under $40 a barrel for any length of time, uh, because at those prices, it becomes hard for many U.S. shale producers to make money. So the the key thing for investors to think about now is to invest in companies or sectors within energy that can generate a, a, a profit and growth with oil averaging around $50 a barrel uh, over the next several years. And the good news is that there are plenty of 
companies right here in the U.S., many of them, that can do that. Um, and I'll give you a couple of examples of some trends. Uh, one of them is to focus on oil-producing regions of the U.S. that have low cost of production. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier on about the Permian Basin of West Texas and New Mexico. That's the lowest cost oil field in the United States. As I said, in parts of that play, producers can make money way down in the 30s per barrel. Uh, at $50 a barrel, a lot of those producers are earning r rates of return of 50 to 100% on their wells, and they can continue to grow production. Um, in fact, they did continue to grow production even when prices were down in the 30s in early 2016. Um, if you want, at the same time, there are other parts of North America where production is too expensive. Um, you know, one of the things that was a, a very powerful trend we played not many years ago, um, back in uh, 2007 through uh, up until 2014, really, up until 2013, 2014, was deep water oil production. Um, there was a surge in drilling activity um, offshore in the Gulf of Mexico, um, the Arctic regions off the coast of Norway, off the coast of West Africa, Asia, Brazil. And these were extremely big, expensive projects where companies were drilling in water that's 11,000, 12,000 feet deep, uh, and they were drilling these very complicated wells. The truth is, though, that at $50 a barrel oil, uh, deep water does not make sense. Uh, doing a new deep water oil project, you need $70, $80 a barrel oil, and therefore, with oil prices in this sort of moderate range, you're not going to see growth in deep water. The companies that serve that market are going to be troubled. Um, you want to focus on, instead, those regions like the Permian Basin, like parts of central Oklahoma, where oil can be produced profitably and gas can be produced profitably, even with prices at these sort of moderate, low to moderate levels that, that I'm looking for over the next few years of around $50 oil um, and you know 2 to $3, 1,000 cubic foot gas. You want to focus on companies that drill in these areas, companies that own infrastructure, uh, pipelines, um, gas processing facilities in these regions, or services companies that serve those regions and avoid group areas like deep water, which just don't make sense in this environment. You know, we can tell that uh, you focus on this and uh, do a lot of research in this area here, Elliot. Uh, we need to take a short break. Again, we're talking with Elliot Gu, founder and chief analyst at Capitalist Times Publishers out of Washington, D.C., and uh, you're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. All right. 
right, back to Charlie and his guest. And can I interject? I usually don't interject anything into these uh, conversations here, but I had to go look up the Permian Basin for those like me that didn't really know what that is. It's the largest petroleum-producing basin in the U.S., and it's produced a cumulative 29 billion of barrels of oil to date, and they estimate there's at least 43 billion left. Wow. Thank you, Paul. We appreciate that. And so that's <laughs> little you know, facts to add to the conversation. Uh, well, that's right. right. And it shows that uh, the, this advice is, is spot on. That's the place to focus on here. So our, our third uh, subject we want to focus on here, Elliot, is master limited partnerships. Now, because of the high dividends they've paid, which certainly you know much more about it than we do, uh, you know, these have been very, very popular for people who were not looking to invest in energy per se. But with these high dividends that they, they have been paying, they invested there. They got clobbered, uh, many if not almost all, uh, when the oil prices came down about three three years ago. Okay, so what is your assessment of opportunities in the MLP marketplace moving forward? Well, generally speaking, I actually think it's one of the most uh, promising areas to invest in from an energy perspective over the next few years. Um, there are, of course, exceptions to that, and some MLPs, I think, are you know, quite dangerous right now. Um, others are uh, have years of growth ahead. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. Um, MLPs, most MLPs, about 85%, are in what we call the midstream energy business. Midstream energy business is transportation and storage of energy commodities. Uh, so it would be things like pipelines, like natural gas storage caverns, natural gas processing fa- plants and facilities. Um, it's the midstream. Uh, the upstream is production, and downstream would be refining. Most of them focus, though, on that midstream area. The good news about midstream is that it has less commodity price sensitivity than upstream. Uh, an oil producer, if the price of oil goes down, they make less money. Um, it's that simple. If the price of gas goes down, they make less money producing gas. Uh, midstream companies don't really care whether the price of oil moving through their pipelines is $50 a barrel or $150 a barrel. It's all about the volume. Um, so the good news is that it's a volumetric business, not a pure price business. Um, the mistake a lot of investors made, though, is assuming that lower price sensitivity means no price sensitivity. And the other mistake a lot of investors make is not to account for the changes in the energy industry in the U.S. Uh, over the last several years. Um, and one of those being that Ten years ago, when we were importing a lot of oil into the United States and growing imports of oil into the United States, a lot of pipelines were set up to handle that. They were set up to move oil from the Gulf Coast inward into the rest of the country. Um, other pipelines were set up to uh, move oil or gas from regions of the country that, that are under very light production right now. For example, uh, North Texas, a gas field there called the Barnett Shale, big growing source of U.S. gas production uh, 10, 15 years ago. Now it's considered one of the highest cost plays in the U.S. There's very little gas being produced there. The problem is, is that a lot of MLPs still own you know, what I like to call legacy assets based in these parts of the country. So with, with oil prices at this more moderate level we've been talking about, with gas prices down in that 2 to $3 range, they're not going to see a lot of volume moving through their pipelines. Um, so while they don't have direct price exposure, they have exposure to that volumetric risk. Uh, what you want to do with MLPs uh, is, again, focus on MLPs that own assets 
in parts of the country that are seeing growth in production, um, parts of the country that have oil fields where uh, the production costs are low enough that they can make money in sort of a $50 a barrel uh, oil environment. The Permian Basin of, uh, of West Texas and New Mexico, it would be one of the top of the list. Um, at, at, there's actually some studies that recently came out, uh, one from the U.S. Geological Survey, in fact, that suggests that the Permian might not only, not only be the biggest oil field in the U.S., but maybe the biggest oil field in the world, bigger even than Saudi Arabia's Guar. Um, for natural gas, there's a ton of gas coming from Appalachia, uh, places like Pennsylvania, uh, West Virginia from the Marcellus Shale. Um, this was a very minor uh, area of gas production as little as 15 years ago. Uh, nobody thought there was much gas there. There were very few pipelines in that part of the country um, to gather that gas. So there's a huge opportunity for MLPs that are building assets in that part of the country focused on gas. Now, central Oklahoma being another one, the scoop and stack fields of Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma gas production is going to more than double over the next five years. They certainly don't have a large enough uh, domestic market in Oklahoma to use all that gas. Um, there's a huge opportunity for MLPs that have assets capable of moving that gas uh, south um, for eventual export to Mexico, where there is very fast-growing gas demand. Um, so it's very important to focus on where these companies, it's, it's like real estate. It's location, location, location in the MLP industry. You want to buy those names that have assets in these low-cost, fast-growing plays and avoid uh, some of the largest MLPs, in fact, that own these legacy assets serving parts of the country that aren't going to see much production growth um, that are higher-cost production areas of the U.S., Elliot, very interesting stuff. We really appreciate your insights. Thank you very much. Uh, A question we like to ask all of our guests, what keeps you awake at night, Elliot? Uh, Well, I I think the biggest risk in in my business really would be a a global economic downturn uh, that could take energy commodities substantially lower. Um, and, and, and that would upend the investment case really for even a lot of the low-cost plays in the United States. Um, so I think, a, I think a, a, a global economic downturn uh, of the scale that we saw not too many years ago uh, could, could certainly upend this investment, certainly upend my investment case and, and leave us uh, more oversupplied with energy commodities than, um, than, it, than I think is likely to be the case. But that's one of the things that that, that I worry about, especially given the increases in debt levels uh, we're seeing in some of the major economies around the world, um, and quite frankly, some changes going on in the investment world as well. Um, you know, there, right now, in certain months in the U.S., um, you know, stock market trading is dominated by ETFs and quantitative funds. Um, I do have fears that you know, if things start to go bad, um, you, you know, some of some of these funds could all start selling in concert, um, and that could create you know some some global market instability that could uh, they could really sink everything. Um, so that's one of the trends I'm watching, and and kind of has me worried uh, about not only oil but the market as a whole. Thank you, Elliot. And uh, second question we'd like to ask all of our guests, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Well, I'm going to tell you that one of the first investment books I ever read, um, it actually was written 
back in the 1920s, um, so it's, it's certainly nothing new, uh, but it's called a, a Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. Um, it was written, it's sort of a, a thinly veiled uh, biography of, uh, of Jesse Livermore, who's one of the fam- most famous uh, stock market traders of all time. Uh, he made a bundle of money during the crashes in the early 20th century uh, and actually during the uh, stock market crash in 1929. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a book that it stood the test of time. Uh, I think that, you know, reading it, you get a real feel for how important it is to follow the big trends going on in the economy uh, and, uh, and try to stay on the right side of those major trends, uh, what, what Jesse Livermore called the general conditions. Um, he certainly made a lot of, he pulled a lot of money out of the markets over the years, and uh, I, I think it's a very, uh, I think it's a historical book that brings into focus just how little things have changed uh, since, since almost 100 years ago now. Right, it's certainly one of the classics, and uh, we, we appreciate your recommending that. So give us a final well, give us your website and contact information, will you, Elliot? Absolutely. Uh, well, if you go to capitalisttimes.com, that's capitalisttimes.com, um, that's our, our parent website. It has links to all of the services uh, and newsletters we offer. It also has an email address that uh, you can click on uh, that will uh, allow you to get in direct contact with me. I'd be happy to send you a, a sample issue of, of, of some of our work. Um, so that, that's really the easiest way to get a hold of me. Okay, and so final words for our listeners. Well, I, what I would say is that I think that we are coming into a period in the second half of this year, uh, which is going to be very, uh, which is going to be very interesting for uh, for the energy sector. Obviously, we've had a tough first half of 2017 with oil prices um, disappointing some expectations um, following that OPEC uh, OPEC meeting late last year. Uh, but I think we're entering a, a multi-year cycle of, of gains there, and just 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 staying on top of this trend that we're seeing here in the U.S. of rising shale oil production, lowering costs. It's the oil producers. It's the midstream energy companies we talked about. It's the services companies. And, in fact, it's technology companies that are selling the technology needed to lower the cost of oil production, lower the cost of gas production, and supply you know, this country's needs and, frankly, exports to all over the world. Elliot, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. This is a subject of significant interest, not only to investors, but anybody who drives a car, ever uh, needs transportation or anything like that. And we really appreciate uh, the, you sharing your ideas uh, with us, and we, we value them. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Again, we've been talking with Elliot Gu, founder and chief analyst at Capitalist Times Publishers out of Washington, D.C. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com, and you can go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you all an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing. 